0: Like I said, it's a real privilege to be here. I'm real excited. And uh, just again to set the scene, uh, I'm going to take a bit of a long way to get somewhere. But um, I've been really actually excited about this night because I've had the sense that um, I don't know if I, I've a sense that Jesus is going to walk amongst us. And uh, and we're going to uh, talk about the cross. But I want to frame it in terms of actually the night before the incident that John records of uh, he, he, washes the disciples' feet, and, and I want to, so I have this sense that for about a month that Jesus is, Jesus is going to be present here with the kind of the towel of the servant on, and he's going to walk amongst us, and he's going to serve you, and he's going to touch you in the place of your need, that he comes as one who serves humbly in love, and so um, that's where we're going to go. I'm going to the movie, okay, all right, that's all right. Um, okay, if there's sound effects. So, um, so again, I'd, I'd love you just to bear that in mind and, and, and to think at some point, and I want to show you why that's important that Jesus meets us like that, but then he actually invites us to live that kind of life of serving one another humbly in love. But he needs to first of all be that to us, and this great God meets us with the towel of the servant on, and humbly comes and stands and he's going to minister to you tonight because that's the kind of God he is. And so, but to get there, I want to talk about um, kind of the thing of freedom and what it means. And this, the idea to be really free is to serve humbly in love. That that's what Jesus is like. And that's what he calls us to. So um, there's this great kind of clarion call in scripture, this, like this chant or this declaration that actually the cause of Christ is about freedom. So for Paul, it's for freedom that he set us free. Like we're not free to do something like freedom is the end game. God is looking for a people who live in incredible freedom. God wants Bay Vineyard to, to live in freedom. That's the greatest gift that we could have. Like it's for freedom that he set us free. It, it reiterates, you know, a bit later on, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. What's the calling on your life? To live free, to model something of freedom, which picks up again what Jesus said, you know, if the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And it's like Jesus and Paul is like, I just want to liberate people. I want to set people free. I want them to live in this incredible freedom that's going to that's gonna show something to a lost and, and hurting world. And when you look back, the kind of thing that God wants to do, this passage in Isaiah 61, um, by the way, don't try and take notes, uh, like seriously, there's a lot of sites, I'm happy to send them to people, okay, just go with the flow. But you know, Isaiah 61 that Jesus quotes as, as the mandate on his life is this kind of thing, you know, where people have been in poverty, they're going to find good news, where they've been brokenhearted, they're going to find wholeness, where they've, where they've been captive, they're going to find freedom, specifically where they've been prisoners, they're going to come come out of darkness and then it unpacks all these beautiful things in exchange where there's been mourning there's going to be comfort where there's the grief of loss there's going to be provision where there's been ashes there's going to be beauty again with mourning not just comfort but actual joy where there's despair there's going to be praise and it's like this incredible agenda like I just want to set people free and so uh, this is good Friday we're talking about the cross but I want to say the cross is for this purpose the cross is about setting people free, about setting them free from places where they're stuck, where they're broken, where we're hurt, and into an incredible place. And then, and then even beyond that, not just once you're set free, you're going to create freedom where you go. You're going to liberate places in our, in our communities, in our schools. Like they're going to go and rebuild ancient ruins. They're going to restore places. Long, like Jesus' cross is to launch a movement of freedom. And it's like, we want to live free. We don't want to be bound up. And I love how you got like this incredible kind of conclusion. It's hard to put in language what this is saying, but instead of your shame, you'll receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. It's like the cross is here. To to take people out of a confined, tight, dark place and into a place that's hard to put language to, but there's there's because people don't like you know prosperity sounds like dripping gold and white suits and comb overs and stuff and all that kind of stuff. But it's but one language, a word that people have been using recently is this word flourishing. As not, like that's that's a good word that God wants to set people free to flourish. And I don't know what that looks like, but I, I believe Jesus wants to come and, and, and serve you in some way tonight that, that unlocks some level of flourishing in your life that you haven't experienced before. And, and when you look at that, it's like, yeah, that's kind of a good word to summarize that. It's kind of a word that a lot of us might be a bit more comfortable with. God is in the business of, of just setting people free to flourish. God wants us to flourish, and how cool that Jesus would come and stand in front of us tonight and minister to you so that you might flourish a bit more. Um, and, And this theme, I mean, this is a bit, many of you would know this a bit cliche, but, you know, for Paul, it's for freedom that he set you free, so he goes on like, stand firm, don't let yourselves be burdened. He's like, don't come under slavery again. This whole cross thing was to set us free. Like, the last thing you'd want to do is come under slavery. And, and many of you would have heard this before, but for Paul, uh, the w- freedom, he uses the word, well, way to think of it as words that all start with the L, But Paul sees that there's two threats to this. There's the threat of legalism, like I'm going to be a slave to duty and guilt and burden, but I also could be a slave license as I'm going to do my own thing, but actually that's slavery, and both of them are slavery, and he wants us to live in liberty. And it's like some people are like growing up in really rigid religious backgrounds, as like, oh, I've got free for that, but all they jumped into is another form of slavery of license, <laughs> Now they're just enslaved to to their fallen nature, but other people are like, man, my life was a mess, but now I'm now I've got super religious, and it's like, no, you just keep exchanging slaveries. Jesus wants to set you free, and so Paul Paul fights this dual battle. So in um. And uh, the immediate context is he's fighting the legalist side. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you, if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ has no value for you. It's like, don't submit to it. Colossians, similar, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or regard to religious festivals. Like, don't don't, don't come under slavery again. Like, the cross was to set you free. Don't let people put that religious stuff on you. Like we, even like we want to be a people who live in freedom, and and I really interesting. He goes on to say, why as though you still belong to the world? Do you submit to its rules? When Christians talk about worldly, they often think about sex and drugs and rock and roll. But for Paul, no. There's a religious side to the world. It's all about don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. Paul's like, don't. Both of them, you've just become slaves to the world. Don't don't do that. But then, uh, but, so he's like, don't get enslaved there, but then he's also, don't be enslaved on the other side. Don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh, because what feels like freedom, you're just enslaved again. And Paul, very clear about that, don't you know when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves, whether you are slaves to sin. It's like, no, you're not free going clubbing and stuff. That's not freedom, that's slavery. Drugs, That's slavery. Like, the cross is to set us free from religion, from legalism, and from license. And it's like, man, today we want to know that cross was there to set us free. And, you know, Paul will list all these things. He's like, no, that's slavery, and it's destructive in our families, and it's destructive in our lives, and you don't want that. But the answer is not religion. The answer is this transformation of the fruit of the Spirit. And so, again, Paul's like, I'm, he's a champion of... Fr- God just wants you free. Free to do what? Free to be free. <laughs> free from legalism, free from license, free from religious guilt, free from entrapment to sin, just freedom. And it would be great if it was like a banner over this church. Man, this is a place of people who are free and just freedom to love life. And, and you see this in Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son, you know, two sons. The prodigal... Becomes enslaved to the licensed side. So he keeps stepping out and he just gets more and more enslaved in a foreign land. You know, and then he's a famine and then he's in need. And then he hires himself out to an unclean Gentile who then sends him to eat with the pigs. And then he wants to, to feed the pigs and then he wants to eat with the pigs. It's like, I don't know if anyone, every step you take, you just dig yourself into a deeper hole. And he's like, man, there's the picture of slavery to sin but the older brother is kind of equally enslaved. He says, all these years I've been slaving for you. So you were, you were around the house, but you never were free. It was all just slavery. And you can be enslaved to sin or you can be enslaved to religion, but you, the cross came to set us free. And, 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 and Jesus tonight wants us to be free and to live in freedom. Um, and so, again, for Galatians, no, it's for, I mean, this is like a great kind of cry, a declaration, it's for freedom that he set us free. And I wonder tonight how we'd want to do that. You know, freedom is kind of a great cultural kind of, I don't know, there's a lot of cultural resonance. So the U.S. Declaration of Independence, you know, we hold these truths to be self-evident, all men are created equal, and these rights, life, liberty. Like, there's this cultural cry for liberty, for freedom. Um, similarly, the Fr- in France, liberty, equality, and fraternity, that was the national motto. There's this thing like, we want to find freedom. And, and I hadn't really thought about this before, but the Statue of Liberty was a gift from France to America. It's like, this is our big value, liberty, and this massive statue to celebrate liberty. And it's like, man, the cross... Is the message that answers this cultural cry? Man, we want to be free. But there's actually a, um, oh, and William Wallace, I won't try the Scottish accent and offend someone's mother, but, um, but, but you know, they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. But I, I was watching this clip again, and it was actually what he says before that struck me you come to fight as free men, and free men you are, but what will you do with that freedom? And it's like, this message of Easter about the cross is, what will you do with this message of freedom? What will you do with it? Because, let me suggest this, there's actually a demonic counterfeit to freedom. Isaiah 41 is the prophecy that probably refers to Satan. You know, he said in your heart, I will ascend, I will raise my throne, I will sit enthroned. I, like, I'm going to do what I want for me. It's like, that's not Freedom. And, and and the other passage in Ezekiel, your heart became proud on account of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So it's so. like there's this cry for freedom, but there, there's a there's a demonic counterfeit to it. But I, one of the things I love about the kingdom, there's this concept: the kingdom is upside down. You know, on oh, this everything's upside is round the wrong way. So if you want to be the first, be the last. If you want to, you know, if you want to be the greatest, be the least. So you would suspect that there's probably an upside-down way of thinking about freedom, right? No, kind of knowing Jesus. He's likely to throw you a curveball, kind of like that messes with your head. And I and I think, well, he does, and Paul does. Because this is this and this is where I'm kind of wanting to land, because this is this is why, how I suggest Jesus comes to you, and this is the life that Jesus invites you into. And, and this is what he says. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. This, rather this, serve one another humbly in love. You got, you got that? Serve one another humbly in love. What does kingdom freedom look like? I'm free to serve you. I'm free to be humble. And I'm free to love And that kind of should mess with our heads, because isn't serving precisely the opposite? When I'm serving, I'm not free because I'm doing someone else's agenda. No, in the kingdom, I'm free to serve, and I'm free to be humble, and I'm free to love. And I want to suggest to you that Jesus is going to come and walk in our midst as someone who serves humbly in love. And this is the ultimate picture of that. And he's going to serve us and touch us, uh, meet our hearts and our needs. As Sam mentioned this morning, what, what's the need that you're asking Jesus to meet? I was real pleased when you said that because that, that's the heart of Jesus. Let me serve you. And then he's like, who are, who's he calling you to serve, humbly and love?" So I just want to look at this, free to serve, free to be humble and free to love. Is that all right? people nodding off already after a long day in the rain and putting up the tents and all that kind of stuff. Okay, let's have a look at this, free to serve, because this is a real countercultural one. And so this is the context leading into, you know, the, this is how Jesus set up this day, Good Friday, the night before. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he'd come from God and was returning to God. And I love this, the, the transition word, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around them. For me, that is a crazy link word. You'd think it was Jesus knowing the Father had put, in things, put all things under his power, knowing that he'd come from God. Uh, in spite of that, he got up and put the towel on, or however he got up and put, but so he got up. And there's something about kingdom that says this. When you know who you are, you're free to serve. Because you're not trying to prove anything. Because your identity isn't based on your role. Because you know who you are, so you're free to meet what the needs are. Without feeling put down, without feeling compromised. And and it's like, and, and the message of the cross Jesus, knowing who he was, then just basically said, What's the need? Oh, they need someone to die on here. Okay, let me do that. I feel God's presence starting to come. Because he knew who he was, he was free to think about what do you need? What's your need? And how could I serve you today? Oh, you're struggling. Oh, you're hurting. Oh, I could be focused on that. Oh, man. I've, I hope if you just start to live, what a Jesus who knows who he is. And uh, I, don't, I just, vineyard prayer more, Lord Jesus, more, Lord. Just let his presence start to come. He's here. This is his heart, because he knows who he is. He's count, like you'd think, because he knows who he is. He knows what's you. No, because he knows who he, who he is. He's here to be totally focused on what you need. Like, how crazy is that? If you're hurting, he's like, I'm oh, free to serve you. If you're lonely, ah, oh, I could serve you. If you're sick tonight, oh let me let me serve you, because he know because he's free to serve. And it's like, man, but I'm totally convinced I've seen this for the last month. Jesus is gonna walk around us in our midst tonight with this towel. Like, how could I serve you? Because <laughs> he's free to serve. And, and this is the language, the famous hymn in Philippians 2. You know, who being in the very nature God didn't consider God, didn't consider equality with God something to be either grasp or use to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the nature of a servant. I know I'm God. He knows he's God. So I'm free to serve. I don't have to hold on to position. He's quite happy to arrive at this camp and go, let me serve you. How are you feeling? Let me serve you. Feeling a bit tired? Let me serve you. Feeling hurt? Let me serve you oh, there's a deeper need. Okay, let me serve you on this so that you can be free. This idea then of human flourishing is like, Jesus didn't come to just show us what God is like. He came, us to, sh- he came to show us what human life was like and human flourishing was like. And so once Jesus has served you, could you dare to believe that he's actually showing you the secret of your flourishing too. And some of you were on a a leadership call I did with... um Sam, um, I was during lockdown. Someone I did a lot of research around this concept of well-being. It's a bit of a buzzword for the government, well-being budgets and stuff. And there's a, lo- and I found out it's a technical term, and and not only what it looks like, but how to get well-being. And there's a whole lot of research that came from Britain that's been adopted by the Mental Health Foundation of New Zealand that says look, there's basically five ways to well-being, and it's and so this is secular, social science, medical research. The second thing, so the first one is be connected, but the second one is give. Like this is, this is like kingdom values. The world has discovered. You want to do well in life? Be involved in giving to people. Be involved in giving to something bigger than yourself. Jesus like, yeah, I'm ready to serve you. But once you've been served, let me invite you to come and discover this way of life for yourself. Because you're going to find well-being Through giving. There's some research done in New Zealand about this. It says this, I think I talked about this on the Zoom call, but a core component of strong relationships is the act of providing help and support. Like, like my well-being, I need to be involved in something bigger than myself, serving something bigger than myself. Research suggests receiving support is beneficial to one's health. health. However, there's growing body of evidence demonstrating that giving support may be more beneficial. It's like, man, we as a church, we're not trying to recruit people to keep a program going. We're we're offering people a path to well-being. It's true yeah yeah <laughs> he paid me. I'll take the money out um, but but Jesus said this in Paul, it's more blessed to give than receive. yeah, you're blessed, you're blessed to be served, and that's the first step. but then Jesus wants to take us by hand and let me show you how to flourish in life. It's that you discover ways to serve something bigger than yourself. Again, this is incredible. For example, giving support is associated with a lower mortality risk, whereas receiving support has no significant effect on mortality. So you live longer when you serve. And again, Jesus said this, whoever finds their life will lose it, whoever loses their life for my sake will find it, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, whoever loses their life for me will find it. Peter taught this, that each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve somebody. So I love this dynamic, Jesus says, let me serve you, and then he takes her hand and says, let me show you how amazing it is to serve people and how much you're going to discover life through serving. And so the cross is not just something for us, but it's an invitation that we take up a cross too. And I'll show you that's around serving. So this is kingdom, upside down kingdom. What does freedom look like? Oh, I'm free to serve. Because Jesus is like, hey, baby vineyard's having a camp. I'll just stand up here and I'll soak up all that worship. He's like, no, no, I'll put on a towel and I'll walk amongst them. How cool is this? I get to serve all these beautiful people this weekend, Jesus says. And, and, and yeah, and for their good, they need to give worship and fellowship. But Jesus is here like, man, how cool I get to walk around this tent and serve people. Isn't that a bit crazy? I think it is. But, um, but not only free to serve, free to be humble. So again, the passage in Philippians, being found in their parents' man, he humbled himself. Again, when you know who you are, you got you don't have to try and prove anything. Jesus is not like, oh man, I hope they do some decent worship. And where's the flipping smoke machine? No one thought of the smoke machine and the light, we got the light. It's like, come on, bring it up, bring it up. He's like, oh great, I I just I just want to hang out with people and encourage people. Um, And so this theme, you know, going back before the hymn, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Oh, that's that demonic counterfeit rather in humility. Oh, I'm free. That I don't got nothing to prove. So I'm just free to be present and think about people and do what they need because I'm not trying to bolster my image or anything. Because that's what Jesus is like. He's like, i got nothing to prove. You know, I love this. As a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling. What's that look like? Be completely humble and gentle. Oh, where did they get that idea from? Well, because Jesus said, I'm humble and gentle. So again, do you know that Jesus? He's just gentle and humble. And I love the thought that he's he's had a set up for a long time just man, I'm going to get to walk around this tent and humbly, gently meet some people's needs tonight. And he's been looking forward to that. Like, how, how cool is he? I feel like he's already arrived here. And that already, just let him come and, like, be with you, put his arm around you. Like, he's humbly, gently here to meet your needs. You might be ready to come and kind of bow down before this big Jesus. Are you ready to let him stand in front of you with a towel on and go, how could I serve you tonight? How could I help you? Where are you struggling? Let me just humbly, gently touch your heart and make you whole tonight. Because that's what he wants to do. Feel like he's already arrived here. And he's starting to starting to do that again, Paul. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. And this whole thing—what does he require of us? Just to walk humbly with God, because that's how Jesus lived. Um, I'll Jump over this. Humility is interesting as a virtue because we talk about you know faith, hope, and love. Where does humility sit? And, I've, I found this really helpful, so Thomas Aquinas is a, a medieval Catholic theologian, but he says this is an th- explanation. Thomas Aquinas explains why humility is preeminent. Humility removes pride, whereby a man or woman refuses to submit himself to the truth of faith. Thomas thinks that although humility is not the most important virtue, that honor belongs to love, it is the beginning of Christian virtue. Because without humility, we cannot be in a position of openness to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And since supernatural virtues are bestowed by the Holy Spirit, without humility, we cannot live lives of Christian holiness. And it's the opposite, I skipped over it, of the demonic counterfeit of pride. No one's going to tell me what to do. Humility is like, I need you, God. And, and I, I picture it a bit like this. Jump in. Is um, we're flourishing above the surface. Why? Because underneath we know that we tap into God, I'm nothing without you. I totally need you. And people sometimes mistake, we're talking outches, people sometimes mistake, think people are arrogant because they're confident of who they are in God, but humility is our attitude towards God. No, humility is like, I know I'm planted by streams of living, I know that I'm nothing. Without God, but then with him, I can flourish. And people might look, who do you think you are, thinking you're that spectacular? No, no, I know where this all comes from. I'm tapped into God. And Jesus comes with that kind of humility. I'll skip over some of these. And, you know, the humility to humbly accept the word of God. Oh, I think we've stopped. The humility to do what he says. It's humility to recognize that anything I have is a gift from God. And, And I love this idea, who is wise and understanding, let them show up by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. There's a wisdom that does not come down from heaven that's demonic. But there's a wisdom that comes from heaven that just says, everything I have is from you, Jesus. I just need to make sure I'm connected to you. And tonight, that I want, a, I want another point of connection, where you touch my life at an even deeper level. And, and, um, and I'm humble enough to let you minister to me, Jesus, and then see where we go from there. Um, some of you might know this book, Good to Great. It's a book about leadership stuff. And they talk about um, level five leadership. Level five leaders display a powerful mixture of personal humility and indomitable will. <laughs> And it's this funny paradox, you can be totally humble and yet, because they're ambitious, oh I should read it, they're incredibly ambitious but their ambition is first and foremost for the cause, for the organisation, not themselves. While level five leaders can come in many personality packages, they're often self-effacing, quiet reserved and even shy. Because you can be personally humble but committed to the cause, which Jesus was. Hey, I'm not trying to prove anything. I'm happy to be humble. I'm happy to pick up the towel and wipe your feet. I'm happy to go to the cross. And Jesus invites us to that kind of life as well. So we're free to serve. We're free to be humble. And we're free to love. And this is kind of the ultimate one. That Jesus, this, what is this? It started the night before. I'll pick up the towel. How could I serve you? Humbly. Oh, I could serve you by doing this. Why am I doing all of this? Because I operate out of love. So again, could you accept the fact that Jesus comes and walks among us tonight? Why? Because he loves you. He's, he's thinking it's not about me, it's I love you. I, I just, I love you, so I want to serve you. I love you, so I just humbly want to serve you tonight. That's all I want to do, because I love you. And the ultimate freedom is the freedom to love. And Jesus is completely free. And so he's free to love to the extreme of this. We have a, we have a bit of a cultural icon, particularly for men. The myth of the Lone Ranger. They're tough guys who kind of don't need anyone. Who do it all by themselves, kind of. And it's like, our culture feeds us a lie that to be strong, you're a loner, and you don't need anyone. And it's hard to get how deeply unbiblical that is, because the Bible says it's not good for someone to be alone. We're actually made for loving relationships. So again, it's that thing, Jesus comes to love us, but then to take our hand and go, let me lead you into the freedom of genuinely loving relationships because this is what I made you for. Again, theologically, let us make mankind in it. Oh, we're made in the image of, of a um, Trinitarian God who's together, together. We're made in the image of a God who's relational. We're made in the image of a God who at the core of who he is is loving relationships. And, and Jesus thought, I don't want to leave you trapped in your isolation, in your dysfunction, in your brokenness, that the ultimate freedom is the freedom to love. And I feel like even tonight Jesus wants with some sensitivity to invite you into the freedom of love. And that's the that's the power of the cross, that's the message of the cross. Um I saw this meme a couple of weeks ago. Therapist, you need to let people in. Me, it's not locked. And, and, and a lot of us are a bit prickly like that. It's like, and we realize some of us spend our whole life building these walls to keep people away. And I got great news. The gospel is about Jesus comes to love on you so that you can walk out of that place and learn how to love. And he and, and the core, the deepest. Part of my brokenness is my inability to connect in deeply loving relationships. And the ultimate freedom is the freedom to love again. Wouldn't that be great that Bay Vineyard was known. they are incredibly free people and they're free to love. And they love each other so deeply because they know they've been loved by God. And so again, if you go back to this incident, John 13, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own, he loved them to the end. John often plays with multiple funny things with language. And this idea that he would love to the end, to the final degree, to this point. And, and that would begin by putting on a towel and serving and washing their feet, but it would end on a cross, as that's how deep my love goes for you. And, and it's interesting, John finishes um, the speech that Jesus makes before he goes out to be arrested. A new command I give you, love one another. It's repeated Twice more in John 15, my command is this, love each other. This is my command, love each other. We generally don't read big enough blocks of scripture to go. The night finishes with a threefold command, love each other. Matthew, Mark, and Luke have a threefold uh, commission, take up your cross. John tends to translate things into another key. Like, what does that mean, John? It's like, love one another. Do you, I don't know if um, Sam talked about this. What, do you know what the Thursday's called? Before Easter? Sorry? Anyone know where that comes from? So in church history, we took Good Friday, the cross, Easter Sunday, resurrection. The Thursday, he instituted the Lord's Supper. That's not what it goes down for. Uh, Judas' betrayal, that's not what it goes down for. Peter's betrayal. Monday thir- comes, as generally believed, comes from Latin, Mandatum Novum. It's the day that God, Jesus gave the new commandment. Most of us don't even know. (laughs) Threefold command, it's in John, love one another. It's like this is the freedom that I've come to bring. This is what we rejoice because of this. We're actually free to love one another. And, and, And so, again, this thing, you're called to be free. Serve one another humbly in love for the entire law is fulfilled in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so it's like tonight Jesus comes and walks in our midst as someone who serves humbly in love. And invites you to both receive that and then start to follow him into that kind of lifestyle. Um, Let me just... Finish with a couple of things. There's this this famous study of adult development, Harvard. It started in 1941, so it's been going for 80 years, tracking people from 19 – so the last group are now in, like, 97 or something – and – and they, So it's been going four generations, and they basically study people's happiness. So this guy, he's the fourth director of the study. So he's got a little TED talk, What Makes a Good Life? Lessons from the Longest Study on Happiness. And he talks about what he asked people, these questions, what keeps us healthy and happy as we go through life? If you're going to invest now in your future best self, where would you put your time and your energy? So this is the, the longest ever study of human flourishing. And he says, when they interview millennials today, over 80% my life goal is to get rich and 50% to become famous. And he's like, we've been studying people for 80 years. It's not that important. And so this is what they say. And they've published it in this book, Aging Well. The surprising finding is that our relationships and how happy we are in our relationships has a powerful influence on our health. Taking care of your body is important, but tending to your relationships is a form of self-care too. That, I think, is a revelation. Like You spend 80 years, four generations of scholars from one of the world-famous universities to get the revelation that loving relationships is the most important thing. And Jesus, on the night before he died, three times, guys love one another. Like, this is what I'm about, and this is the secret to your flourishing, and I want to set you free to love one another. Um, It says this, close relationships more than money or fame are what keep people happy throughout their lives, the study revealed. Those ties protect people from life's discontents, help to delay mental and physical decline, and are better predictors of long and happy lives than social class IQ or even genes. What's... The secret? Serving one another humbly in love. And tonight, if you could let Jesus meet you like that, if you could let Jesus be that to you, then you could start to live life like that. And he promises you that that's going to be the best possible life for you. Serving one another humbly in love. That's what's going to lead to your flourishing. Because the Son of God chose to live like that. Finally, there's one other study. Again, it's called the Human Flourishing Program from Harvard again. Um, they found out that there's five central components for flourishing. Number one, happiness and life satisfaction. That's kind of begs the question of all the others. Mental and physical health, okay. But look at the bottom three. Remember, oh, remember what Paul said? Serve one another humbly in love. That's the secret to flourishing. Universe, biggest one of the... Prestige universities in the world, massive study, social scientific research. What, what makes human flourishing? Meaning and purpose. Serve something bigger than yourself. Character and virtue. Be humble. Close relationships. In love. One random little half of a verse from Paul 2,000 years ago is now backed up by two massive studies, one over 80 years from Harvard, that says, he wants to set you free to serve one another humbly in love. And that's the message of the cross. And that's the message of Jesus. Um, and so I tonight, tonight I just want to create, well, I don't want to create, I feel like Jesus wants to create a space where he just comes and walks among us and I don't know, this almost sounds heretical. Jesus comes and serves you and ministers to you and helps you. And we're going to start with communion. Um, and again, it's like this is this radical kind of thing where how does God meet us? It's like God comes and says, oh, here's, here's my body broken for you. Here, this is for you. This is going to feed your soul. Here, this is for you. And then he's like, oh, this is my blood shed for you. Here, this is for you. Like, how do you deal with a Jesus that comes to you and goes, here, let me give you everything that I am for your nourishment and your good. Let me serve you. Let me minister to you. Let me touch your heart. So what I'd love you to do, I don't know if this is probably not a vineyard thing. I don't know if we can play any keyboard keyboardy or music stuff but I just want to invite you for a minute to come and get a bit of bread and some juice maybe take it back to your seat and kind of ponder the fact this is Jesus serving you with all that he is and uh, so I, I invite you to do that and then and then we and then I just want to have a little time where maybe we we, we allow Jesus then to directly minister to some needs Is that all right? So as these guys play, feel free to come. There's gluten-free down there. And come and get a bit of bread and some juice. Take it back to your seat and take communion, pondering. This is Jesus serving you humbly in love. Okay? Let's go for it.